welcome to another podcast from Basic Scotland. These are a series of brief snapshots about less talked about topics within pre-hospital care in Scotland and some deep dives into some more specialist areas with experts from a variety of disciplines. My name's Dave, I'm an army surgical trainee, a basics responder and a mountain rescue doctor based in Pitlochry. Today, back with us for a second time round, is Lucy Powells. Lucy is the educational lead for the Scottish Multiprofessional Maternity Development Programme. She's been a midwife since 1984 and has worked all over the UK. And the Scottish Multiprofessional Maternity Development Programme has been working alongside Basics and NHS Education for Scotland, doing maternity and neonatal training across Scotland. Lucy, thanks very much and, and thanks for coming back. Uh, thank you for having me back, Dave. So, I understand that today we're going to try and pick over some of the sort of mixed bag of obstetric emergencies. Yes, yes. I'm just going to have a, a talk about some of the things that can go wrong and what you can do in those situations. Fantastic. And I think to start off with, we were going to talk about stuck babies. Is that right? Uh, well, yes. The term is shoulder dystocia. It is a time critical emergency. And if you come across this, you will need to act quickly in order to prevent serious morbidity and mortality to the baby. It's worth noting it's a bony problem. So this is where the anterior shoulder of the baby gets stuck behind the maternal symphysis pubis. There's a number of things you can do to try and aid the birth of the rest of the baby. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each of these in turn. But basically, you can help by putting the woman's legs into what's called the McRoberts position. Then you can do something called suprapubic pressure. And then after that, if that doesn't work, you can ask the woman to turn over onto all fours. And each of these interventions should be attempted for up to 30 seconds. So this really is sort of up against the clock. Yes, yes. Because when the shoulders get stuck, then this has an impact on the baby and causing hypoxia. So we need to get this baby out as quickly as we can. And just so I'm sort of, I'm right in terms of context, the mum has been labouring um, and has then given birth to the head. And then at that point, everything sort of slowed down. Yes. So I think as I previously described, once the head is born, the shoulders usually rotate themselves within the maternal pelvis so that they're in the right position to be born. And then the baby's body is usually born with the next contraction or so with just gentle traction on the head by the practitioner. But in some cases, you'll find there's some signs that might alert you that the shoulders might, you might have some difficulty with them. Sometimes when the baby's head is born, the face and the chin should kind of easily come up. They sweep the perineum and are delivered. You might find that there's a difficulty with that, that they're difficult to get out. The head sometimes also remains very tightly applied to the woman's vulva and can actually retract back. We actually call this turtlenecking so that the neck disappears. And again, that's when I described last time about the baby, just the head turns automatically to one side of the mother's thigh or the other, which is called restitution. That might not occur either in this situation. And I think it's really important to emphasize if by any chance you're on your own, you must make sure that there's help coming at this point. And it's also a good idea if you call ahead to the maternity unit to alert them that you have a shoulder dystocia. So if you have to then transfer the woman, you know, they're well prepared and can spring into action as you get to the hospital. So we've identified that there's 
a few risk factors to look for. Yeah. And then the normal sort of birth progression that you described in the first episode has stalled and, and not quite worked. So first off, you said call for help. And then what's next on the list of interventions? Well, you need to tell the woman that there is a problem. So, you know, you have to be very frank and tell her that there's a problem with the birth of the baby's body and that you're going to need her to do certain things for you. So the first thing, as I said, that you need to do is to help her to adopt the McRoberts position. So this is where the woman lies completely flat. And, and when I say completely flat, I mean, you take any pillows away as well and you bring her knees up onto her abdomen and they will slightly abduct anyway because she's pregnant. And this actually has the effect of straightening the sacrum. And although it's really, really small, it does increase the diameter of the pelvis by a very small amount. But in 90% of cases, it'll allow the baby's shoulders to pass under that symphysis pubis, also with you helping with gentle traction on the head. So I think that's the first thing is that this position, McRoberts, in 90% of cases will actually free that shoulder. And presumably flatten her back with nothing underneath her is something that is pretty achievable even if you're in the back of an ambulance or pretty much anywhere. Yes, I think that's the thing to say. Now, if you've got other people with you, then they can help the woman to get those legs because they really do have to be brought right up and onto her abdomen. If there isn't the luxury of other people around, then you can ask her herself to pull them up towards her. But yes, you can't emphasise enough how important putting her into this position is. You then, you, so you attempt this for 30 seconds. You put her into the McRoberts position and, and see if the baby will actually deliver. If, unfortunately, that doesn't happen, then you move on to a, what we call suprapubic pressure. So you would keep the woman in McRoberts. You're still getting that extra amount of room within the pelvis. And then you try and find the fetal back, which I appreciate could be difficult if you're not used to palpating pregnant women. But you try and associate where the fetal back is. And then standing to the side of the woman, you use a CPR grip and apply pressure to what will be the anterior shoulder of the fetus, which is just above the woman's symphysis pubis. And what this has is the effect of pushing the anterior shoulder towards the fetal chest. Ideally, somebody should be doing suprapubic pressure and then somebody else is then trying to, to deliver the shoulders, you know, to, to apply the gentle traction to the head and attempt to deliver the shoulders. And again, you do this for 30 seconds. OK, so we've got into the knees up to chest and back flat and then keeping her there, we're into suprapubic pressure. Now, you said 30 seconds. Obviously, she's still going to be have con having contractions through this period. Is it there are a number of contractions to wait for? Because I suspect people's perception of time is probably going to be a little yes, bit. Yes, yes. Actually, this is where it's not important. You would attempt to try and deliver this baby even if she didn't have a contraction. So by doing the manoeuvre, you then try and see if you freed that shoulder. So you attempt to deliver the baby even if her contractions appeared to have kind of gone off a bit. OK, so not sort of waiting for another push, just giving it 30 seconds and then they're moving yeah. on to the next. What I also wanted to say here is that this is, uh, I've described suprapubic pressure. What I want to be clear is that we do not apply a funnel pressure. So you're not, do not attempt to kind of push the baby from the top of the abdomen. Um, you could cause damage to the baby and also you could rupture the uterus. So that's something to just be very clear that that should never be attempted. So just folding that shoulder into the to the baby's chest rather than actually trying to push yes, the baby out. Yes, as I said, because it's a bony problem. You know, the shoulder's got stuck. 
force is not going to actually help. The other thing is your instinctive reaction might be to try and pull on the baby's head, you know, with quite a bit of force. And again, you must avoid that and also try and avoid twisting the neck. What will happen here is you might damage the baby's brachial plexus nerves. So that's just to be aware of that. And that can have pretty significant lifelong effects in terms of yes, arm function. Yes. So if the suprapubic pressure doesn't work, then the next step really is to try and turn the mother or ask the woman to turn over onto her hands and knees, onto all fours. She might need some help, depends how mobile she is at this point. Also, it might not be that easy for her because obviously the, she has this baby's head between her legs. But what this seems to do is to displace the anterior shoulder. And again, you attempt to deliver the baby. And I believe they say that this manoeuvre is usually effective in 83% of times. Sometimes some people would do that first. So it depends if you're on your own and some of the community midwives, for instance, will just attempt to turn her around and put her into all fours first. And then if that doesn't work, do turn her back and do McRoberts and suprapubic pressure. Okay, that's going to be a little bit trickier trying to get her to turn over if she's in the back of an ambulance on a trolley. But I guess you could probably get it to come down onto the floor and go on all fours. Yes, yes. And I think you'll have to think about how you can manage that. I suppose, again, just to say that all this time you need to be thinking you may have to transfer her anyway. So whether this is happening in the house or you, you may well have got into the ambulance, once these manoeuvres have been attempted, she really just needs to get to the nearest maternity unit. If she's in the house, then she can walk to the ambulance. What you need to bear in mind is that at any point the shoulders could be freed at any time. So just to be very vigilant that the birth might happen en route from the house to the ambulance. So be prepared for that. Um, it won't be easy, obviously, because as I said, she's got this head between her legs, but it has to be done because she has to be transferred. But once she's in the ambulance, you would maybe try and put her in that kind of lateral position and with a pillow maybe to separate her legs. I have to say that if at any point this baby is born, be prepared that it may require resuscitation because the longer the shoulder dystocia goes on, the, the more the baby may well be in a poor state, so may need resuscitation. And I think, again, this has already been discussed, but she will also be at higher risk of a postpartum hemorrhage following a shoulder dystocia. And we had a good chat about that on, on one of the other right. episodes. So presumably that the risk of neonatal complications is to do with the fact that the head is trapped within the birth canal and therefore hypoxic, both from not being able to take the first breath, but equally not getting good perfusion. From yes, the yes, cord. that's absolutely correct. And, you know, as I said, the longer the shoulder dystocia goes on for the condition of the baby will worsen. So you've got to be prepared for that baby to need neonatal resuscitation, as we described previously. Okay, so if we've tried all three, and let's say for the sake of argument, we're in the back of a vehicle and transporting, but like a lot of places in Scotland, it's a feral drive to get to the maternity unit. Is there any harm in going back through these? or is it uh, a No, I mean, what we say with these manoeuvres is they can be repeated. I suppose it's whether they can be repeated safely whilst you're on the move. And that's a decision that won't be easy, I suppose, as to what you do. Again, what we're saying here is that once you've tried these manoeuvres, you really do need to get her somewhere where the obstetricians and midwives can actually 
perform internal maneuvers where they actually put their hands in and try and uh, maneuver the, the shoulders or the baby so that they can actually deliver it that way. They kind of get the posterior arm and, and try and remove it and then try and free the shoulders that way. But again, that will depend on the kind of skill and background of the practitioner as to whether they attempt that or not. So as you said, giving them a good heads up that you're coming in and that both an ETA and how long the dystocia has been going on for. Uh, is going to yes, be absolutely. And then obviously from the parent's point of view, there needs to be a full discussion about what happened and why you had to do what you did. And again, very important that all staff involved have a proper debrief as well, because it's obviously a very traumatic experience for all concerned. Okay, so that's sort of taken us all the way through from looking at risk factors and warning signs through three pretty simple manoeuvres in the, in the grand scheme of things. But I guess it seems as though it's just sort of trying to shimmy the baby around within the canal so that it has a chance of, of unlocking itself. Is that, is that, yeah, is yes, that absolutely. As I said, this shoulder's just got stuck behind. Now, again, there's other kind of risk factors as far as the woman's concerned, but really doesn't matter at this point. If you're faced with a shoulder dystocia, it doesn't really matter. But obviously, the bigger the baby, the more the risk. And there's certain other things that might alert you beforehand. But yes, it's getting that shoulder has just got itself stuck behind the, the symphysis bone. And we need to do something in order to free it. And as I said, it's not going to be helped by trying to just haul on the baby or pushing from above. That won't work in this situation. So that's given us a good kind of summary of shoulder dystocia. Now, I think the next thing we're going to look at was yes. cord prolapse. So again, another time-critical obstetric emergency. This is where the, the cord, the umbilical cord, prolapses through the cervix into the vagina. And again, this is an obstetric emergency which requires immediate action. It may be clearly visible protruding through the vagina. It may be that if you've been called to her because she's in labour and you're having a look to see if she's actually about to give birth. You may see the cord hanging down or it just means that woman herself may just report feeling something kind of funny, pulsating even between her legs, usually after her waters have gone, her membranes have ruptured. And the problem here is that there may be direct compression of the cord by the fetal head, but also the cord being exposed to the cool atmosphere is not good either. It can spasm. Both of these can lead to cessation of fetal blood flow and ultimately could cause fetal death. So yes, it doesn't get much more time critical than that. And you're saying that this can happen at any point after the membranes have ruptured, so potentially quite early on. Within they can, the yeah. Later. Sometimes some women have an excess of amniotic fluid around the baby, and sometimes when their waters go, there's a big gush of fluid and the cord kind of gets dragged down, basically. Again, I should emphasise this is rare. Cord prolapse doesn't happen on a regular basis. But if you were to come across it, then you need to know what to do. And again, calling for help and or preparing for transfer is the foremost in your mind at this point. Presumably, as, as much as anything else, once there's been a cord prolapse for any length of time, presumably that's going to increase the risk to the baby and, and of the, the yes, birth yes. process. Mm, yeah, because as I outcome. said, that you know the, the cord itself, it could lead to the fetal blood flow being stopped. So we need to get the baby delivered really as quickly as possible. Now, 
if this happens in the home or out in the community or in the back of an ambulance and she's in the second stage of labour and actually actively pushing, then the best thing you can do is actually encourage her to push and, and to deliver the baby because that will rectify everything. The only thing to be wary of, obviously, is if the cord has prolapsed down, this baby again may need resuscitating. Early so if she's stage. either not in labour or you feel that she's not approaching second stage, there's no urge to push, um, then really the only recourse is to get her transferred to a maternity unit. And again, phone ahead, alert them that you have a cord prolapse because they'll be then prepared and more than usual will greet you at the door and take her straight to theatre. Again, if there's going to be a transfer or you're there in the home and waiting on a, a transfer an ambulance to come, if it's something within your scope of practice, then you can fill the woman's bladder using a Foley's catheter or an indwelling catheter with up to 500 mils of saline and clamping it off. What this does is this actually has the effect of lifting the head off the cord, so stops the pressure. But it also can have the effect of stopping any uterine contractions. When we're caring for women in labour, we try and get them to empty their bladders because a full bladder does interfere with the process of normal labour. So this has the kind of reverse effect. So by filling it, we can sometimes slow labour down. So again, it would stop the cord from getting compressed can be quite uncomfortable obviously for the woman but again it's something that can be done and can help in this situation. And we were discussing before about how technically possible it, it would be for a, a basic responder and I guess a lot of the, the GPs and practice nurses are, are more likely to be carrying catheterization kit but actually it's, it's a pretty useful bit of kit for a lot of situations. In the, yes in the yeah sphere. as you were saying yes yeah, so it's something to consider if it's something they don't have and putting in their kit. So once we've lifted the baby's head up with some fluid within the bladder, is there any value in, in attempting to reduce this So prolapse? again, if you're waiting for a transfer, then it's best to put her into the knee chest position with her face downwards and her bottom in the air. Using gravity, the baby will not be pressing on the cord. Obviously, if you're then transferring her in the ambulance, you can't safely keep her in that position. But you could lie her on her left side, kind of exaggerated with a pillow to elevate her lowest hip. So this kind of encourages the head off the cord. But you want to avoid any unnecessary handling of the cord. It could put it into vasospasm. But it might be possible to gently just insert it inside the vagina because obviously that will keep it warm. But if you do that, use a dry pad. I think in the past, people maybe have thought, well, I'll use a pad and put some warm fluid on it. But of course, that cools down really quickly and it will just make the cord colder. Just to be aware, though, that sometimes they just fall out again. So you don't want to be repeatedly doing that. A one attempt to place it in the vagina using a yep. dry pad, as you say, but not not repeated handling and not trying to reduce it up into the cervix or, no. or returning it no, to the original No, no, that's, that's not a good idea. And presumably these women are, are going to need a, an emergency section when they get to an appropriate Yes, yeah, so facility. what would more than likely happen is if you phoned ahead and they're expecting you, the maternity unit staff will greet you at the door. They will probably try and put the woman into that knee chest position, but they also do a vaginal examination and place their fingers in and actually digitally push the head off the cord while they take her into theatre for an immediate caesarean section. So in terms of other things that we can be achieving during a transfer, 
you know, essentially setting her up for theatre. So good wide bore access and a bit of pre-oxygenation are, are all going to help in terms of... Yes, yes, actually, that's, that's good points because you know that unless by the time she gets to hospital, she's actually having the baby herself, then yeah, it's going to be a cesarean section to get the baby out. Again, the baby's condition at birth will depend on the length of time the cord has been prolapsed for. But once she's in hospital, they will have a neonatal team ready to look after the baby when it's born. Okay, so that's a walk through cord prolapse. And I guess the, the key thing in my mind at the moment is that for dystocia, we're going to try the McRoberts position and then suprapubic and then rolling onto all fours. But for cord prolapse, knees to chest, but on all fours. Yes. You think, you know, it's the gravitational force to try and get the baby off the cord. So you want her not very dignified, but with her bottom in the air. But again, limited by once she is in the ambulance as to what you can do in that case. Yes, indeed. Chatting with the ambulance colleagues about, about how to keep us safe <laughs> yes. whilst, whilst doing all these things is, is going to be a, an Certainly. ongoing conversation, I suspect. Brilliant. Thanks very much for taking us through both dystocia and core prolapse. As you'll remember from last time, we get all of our speakers to give three top tips for folk to keep in their minds about dealing with these maternal emergencies. What are your suggestions for, for both dystocia and I prolapse? think really just to say that be aware of the signs of shoulder dystocia and core prolapse as I've gone over today. Really important that you call for help in whatever shape or form that will be. So that will obviously depend on where you are and what help you can call for. And very importantly, as I said, you know, making sure that the maternity unit are aware if you are transferring a woman with either of these, that you let them know. And then the debrief, I think it's really important to realise that not just the parents, but obviously the staff involved in these emergencies really need to talk through what happened and how they dealt with it. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty traumatic yes. experience for everyone involved. And I suspect, as you say, you know, it increases the risk of neonatal complications as well. So there's potentially a, a resuscitation aspect to this. To do everything with, else. Yeah, as I said, I think you need else. to be mindful that the baby will more than likely need to be resuscitated. And in the case of shoulder dystocia, if you're still in the community, she may well go on to have a postpartum hemorrhage. Yeah, that's going to yes. be quite, quite the job to deal with. Lucy, thanks so much for talking us through those hugely stressful <laughs> potential situations, but nice to work through them okay, in a step-by-step -step basis. That's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.